Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, September 26th, and welcome back to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, it's time to get busy living, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, a really special one on cancer films. Oh, yes, they are big these days. 50-50, the director is here, Jonathan Levine, as a special guest star. And the documentary, Wrong Way to Hope, we've got the director of that. We've got a young adult survivor, Hodgkin's lymphoma, Mike Lang, who's the producer. The director's Aaron Bryant, by the way, we should say his name. And we've got two young adults who are featured in the documentary, Jennifer Luce, ovarian cancer survivor, and Lori Hinsberger. She is a colon cancer survivor. And kicking it off in our survivor spotlight, Megan Hildebrand. She's an acclaimed visual artist, and she's a young adult survivor of Hodgkin's lymphoma. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.com. We're not your father's cancer society. Uh-uh. And we're bringing the cause, preach it, sister. We're bringing the cause uh-huh. of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard. Another fun and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show where remission is not a cure. And survivorship is all that matters. And a stupid cancer welcome to all and any of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. As a reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed uh, during which each broadcast we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. Chat feed. Yes. A chat feed. Chat feed. Chat room, chat feed. Good stuff. Well, anyway, Eat in our chat, sh- live chat and in our chew. Chat what? Chat That's and a chew. Good restaurant. It uh, is. In, yeah. Right downtown here. Kenny Kane. I'm getting studio. hungry. Yes. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Lisa. How Hello, are you? Hello, Kenny. We are officially uh, 
sponsored by Starbucks at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Loaded up on caffeine. We'd love to be. Where is our chat room? Where's our chat and chew? We're up. We're up and running. Twenty-eight we people are? in there. Going forward, it's gonna get. You gotta scroll down stuff. a little bit. Yeah. I can't get in. Oh, there we go. Uh, tech support. Yeah. Be yeah. sure to watch my video how to use the internet. <laughs> Thank you. The internet. Correct. Ehow.com/slash/ginger. Yep. Exactly. There we go. Hello, folks. All right. Well, you know what? We got a couple of just quick things to talk about. I had a phenomenal end of my two-week ridiculous tour of the country on business. Right. I went to uh, Seattle this week. Um, met with the folks at a pharma startup called Seattle Genetics. Mm-hmm. Really smart folks doing great stuff. All translational genomic research. Say what? What? What, what? Translational <laughs> genomic research. Someone go to Google and figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they deal with orphan diseases, uh, the groups that get like maybe less than 200 diseases a year. Uh, really amazing group that dedicates a lot of their time to the smallest percentage of people. Um, then I went down to Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Yes. What? Are you all right? <laughs> Los Angeles. Somebody take Lisa's coffee away. That's how you say it in Espanol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was in L.A. With, for the Stand Up to Cancer screening of 5050, the film. Um, Lovely. We had a contingency of over 20 I2Yers from the L.A. area. Nice. Including our own uh, director of development, uh, Colleen O'Neill, mm-hmm. and L.A. chapter chair, Stacey Owens. Lovely. In the a lovely young regional, woman. Regional. No, she's West Coast regional chair, and then she works for Los Angeles. Um, film was great. Second time I saw it, even better. Uh, it was in like one of their giant, not IMAX, but the super giant stadium. At the Grove. I've at been the to the Grove. Yeah. Grove. Really yep. cool. Very nice. It's like a not little a mini dry thing. eye in the house. Yeah. Oh, I saw it like a baby. I saw it the same day here at a screening in New York. Yeah. And uh, it's tough to, good film. Tough yeah. to watch in tough part. Tough to watch. Really good film. Pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you know what? And? Why don't you spring your phenomenal news on us today? Speaking of which, 50-50, earlier... Today, I spoke with the director, Jonathan Levine. He's a New York boy, and he really wanted to direct this film. He is known for a film called The Wackness. You guys remember that movie? Come on, Kenny Kane. What? The the Wackness? The Wackness. The Wackness Monster? No. <laughs> the Wackness. It's a film about hip-hop in New York. Mary Kate Olsen oh, yeah, is totally, in it. Method, totally. It's one of the few mo- movies, well, one of the few, As, the only movie that could ever combine Ben Kingsley, Mary Kate Olsen, and Method Man. You had me at hip-hop. Yeah. Um, you had me at Method. So he did, <laughs> he did the whackness, and he really wanted to direct 50-50 when he saw a script, so he sent a letter to Seth Rogen and the fellas saying, I'm your guy, and they took him up on it. And um, so he's a young guy, he's the director of the film, and... He and I had a phone conversation earlier today, and why don't we just get right to it, MZ? We're going to play it, and he's going to fill you in on all kinds of juicy uh, behind-the-scenes stuff about making the movie with Seth and Will. Can I just say this is awesome? You can. Having it, This is awesome. Excellent. All right, here it is, Jonathan Levine. Director 5050. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to the show. We're really psyched to have you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. I am psyched to be here. All right, excellent. So tell us, other than working with Seth and Will... What made you want to do this movie? Because I heard that you actually wrote a letter to those guys saying that you really wanted to direct the film when you saw the script. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I just I just found the script to be so compelling, you know, and, and I, I just thought it was so remarkable what Will was able to do, kind of in turning, uh, you know, his experience into this this kind of amazing creative thing that that that, that captured, you know, I I, I think very few 
scripts are able to capture kind of a, a, the tone of, of life, and, and, and I think that's what Will's script, Will script was able to do. It was, it was moments of, of, of amazing humor followed by moments of intense sadness, and, and to me, you know, so many movies are just one thing. You know, they're either, they're either uh, you know, broad comedies or they're big action movies, and, and this, to me, was kind of like the movies I loved growing up. It, it, it had um, elements of everything, and it really felt true. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty much blown away by it. So did you think at all about, or, or maybe perhaps it was more the studios or distributor, about what kind of a risk it was to do a film about cancer and with humor? I mean, we do that all the time on the show. Obviously, we talk about cancer, and we use a lot of humor on our show. Um, but to make a really, you know, kind of mainstream feature film and put it out there, uh, any kind of pushback or hesitation about that at all? Well, you know, uh, the the people who were making the movie were always very supportive of it, and and you have a movie star like Seth who is very supportive of it, and uh, that really helps. Um, and you know, we didn't make the movie for a ton of money. It was a it was a movie that all of us did kind of out of passion, and everyone, you know, no one did it for for the money. No one took a huge payday. So so in doing that, you kind of mitigate the risk a little bit. Um, but but for me. It, you know, as, as someone who's, who's been through cancer with a couple family members, um, you know, it, it, I didn't really know. It, it was sort of like this secret society that I was that I was brought into. Um, you know, when when I first experienced it with 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 a family member, and and then I realized that you know, pretty much every person who exists has a connection to cancer, um, and you know, why not make a movie about it? I mean, it seems like a very kind of it seems like a topic that is relevant to lots of people. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not like you know it's not a commercial slam dunk like uh, Transformers Two. But, uh, but <laughs> well, you, you don't know. know it's not out yet. Good it's to true. It's true. It's true. Could really just take over. The, no, but you know, but but I do feel like there are you know, and and I do feel like there are things about it that make it very accessible, and um and uh, myself as not just a filmmaker but a film goer, it's the type of movie I would want to see, um so. You know, yes, like it's, it, you know, yes, you're, there is always worries when you make any movie about whether people are going to see it. But I just found the script to be so compelling and, and the actors so good. And, and you know, there were, there were so many things on our side with it that, that those kind of overwhelmed any concerns I had about, about the, the subject matter or, or the, you know, or, or audiences being scared of it. Right. I, I, think, I also think audiences are far less scared of challenging material than, than Hollywood yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you there. Had you known anybody around your age that had cancer? Because a lot of people out there still don't realize that young adults can get cancer. You know, those between the ages of 15 and 40, they kind of know about pediatric cancers and they know about the over 40 crowd. But, you know, a lot of people still don't think that somebody that age can get it. Did you know anybody who had and what kind of did you learn about that? You know, I I did not know anyone who had I I but but you know as soon as I came on the movie, um I you know I did research and 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 kind of discovered a network of of people who had, um and and it's true it is kind of a forgotten segment in many ways, um but you know uh yeah we we had we made the movie in Vancouver and we got kind of hooked into a network of of cancer survivors and young adults, um who spoke to Joseph Gordon-Levitt and helped him kind of ground his his role in in reality. Um, and, you know, yes, once, once I came on board the movie, that's when I started to kind of immerse myself in, in that world. 
Yeah. There are other sort of um, specific issues, and the movie touches on some of them and then um, doesn't touch on others. I'm just wondering um, if there was any stuff that was cut or left out, like, for instance, you know, and maybe this gets too much in terms of sort of moving your storyline along, but, you know, one big issue is that a lot of young adults um, become infertile from chemotherapy, you know, don't know to, like, freeze their sperm or freeze their it eggs or anything. It is interesting that you should say that because <laughs> yeah. there is a scene in the movie um, that, 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 that was cut out that, and is not going to even be on the DVD, but it was, it, and it just, it, it was great on the page and it just didn't kind of work in the context of the movie where you cut from basically when Adam, Joe's character, finds out he has cancer, the the doctor does advise him to bank his sperm, and you cut to him sitting in, uh, you know, in a room with a, yeah. with a, with a magazine, right. um, you know, trying to masturbate, and, and, um, and, it it was just at that time in the at at that point in the movie it just didn't quite work you know it's a very big tonal balancing act kind of structuring this movie, um, but yes that is something that we had and something that was cut out did you know about that oh we talk about it all the time it's a huge no but I mean did you know about that oh no no oh no I amazing I didn't I didn't but I just know for any young adult as we talk you know we talk about a lot on the show that that's a huge issue that there are some doctors. I mean, at least you had it in the movie as the doctor was actually telling him to bank a sperm because I think, you know, oftentimes uh, young adults are not even told by doctors to do that. I mean, it's fortunately happening more and more. I didn't know. I was just curious because I figured that issue hopefully would have come up with Will as he was going through it. Yeah. So I wondered, you know. yeah, it, 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 that was in the movie and was cut out. I mean, I mean, we do, you know, I think that's that's part of what I, I, I really enjoyed about the movie is it does kind of confront, like, it doesn't shy away from, you know, his sexual kind of exploits. Exploits, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it, it really does kind of go into aspects that that, that would heretofore be considered taboo, I think. Um, and uh, But, yes, we did have that scene, and, yes, it was cut out. Because uh, so, it just it just didn't kind of go with the flow, like you said, with the tonal balance. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's a fine line. Like you, some of the stuff that you want to show is realistic, but in terms of kind of moving, keeping the the tone right and moving the the, the film along, it just didn't work for that reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it is. I mean, you know, to me, it, it's 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 in making this movie, we we wanted to stay very true to the spirit of what Will went through and what so many people go through. Yeah. Um, and and and, but we also, you know, it was very important to us to, to make a movie that was entertaining, that was accessible, that was, you know, and and because I think I think if 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 we can bring the audience into that world, then it's that much more powerful. Um, you know. The, the stakes are that much higher, and so um, so it, we we had to be very conscious of of you know uh, not necessarily giving the 360 degree view, um, but of being true to the spirit of of what it was. Yeah, definitely. What about let's talk about um, the parents and Angelica Houston yeah. because we also you know deal with a lot of parents, and obviously it's not just the person going through it, although they're in hell, but you know right. it's the loved ones or sometimes what we call the co-survivors who are kind of around them and. Right. I think a lot of us got, you know, particularly really weepy just even thinking of our own parents or, you know, watching Angelica do those scenes. Was yeah. there something that you know of that she tapped into for that in terms of playing the caregiver and the kind of delicate balance between their relationship and then those really tough scenes where she kind of watches her baby, you know, go off into surgery? 
Yeah, you know, it's a, um, her her husband actually had just passed away recently. Oh right. Um, and huh. she, you know, I know that that was something that was that was uh, that that she was kind of tapping into, um, you know. And it's as as a director, it's 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 painful to 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 watch it almost, you know, because she's just going there, and it's 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 really she's such an amazing actress, and 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 the fact that she. You know, was willing to tap into that. I, I found to be such a wonderful gift from her. Um, but you know, it's 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 that's. I think that's another one of the interesting things about the movie is that you know, uh, the Adam character gets cancer, but it's the people around him who don't know how to deal with it. Um, yeah. You know, it's his parents, it's his friends, it's it's you know, no one no one knows how to deal with it. And I mean, he doesn't even know how to deal with it. But 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 it's the people around him, uh, you know, are often making it worse. Yeah. Um, and did, did, has Seth actually convi- uh, 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 confessed to actually trying to get laid when Will got cancer? You know, no, he did not. But but um, the 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 uh, sort of uh, uh, he met his who is soon to be his wife. Um, you know, on the night that he and Will kind of came up with the idea for this movie, and Will was still going through everything, um, and and I, I, you know, they started discussing this idea with this girl, and and she is now his fiance, and will soon be his wife. So I don't think it was as as kind of crass as as in the movie, but it certainly was a conversation starter for him. <laughs> That's funny. And were they just out at a bar, or were they somewhere? I think they were at a party. They were at a party. I think they were at a party, yeah. That's funny. Um, so tell us also, um, wh- what did you observe on the set in terms of the relationship between the days w- when Will was there? I don't know how often he was there, but in terms of Seth and Will's relationship, how much that kind of mirrored you know, what went on on screen. Um, I mean, because Seth's, Seth's character on screen you know, is um, doesn't have a hell of a lot redeem, of redeeming qualities. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, so I'm just interested as to kind of what you observe between the two of them, um, on set, off set, yeah, and, yeah. you know. Well, first of all, I, I should. Will was there every single day. He was, um, yeah. You know, every single day in pre-production, every single day from from the moment I came on the movie, there was not a day that went by that I did not see Will. Um, and and it was wonderful, you know. Yeah. It was, he was there as an amazing resource for us. I mean, the relationship between Will and Seth is not that different from the relationship between Adam and Kyle in the movie. I mean, yeah. they 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 definitely, you know, Seth, Seth definitely makes fun of him a lot, and Will definitely just takes it. Um, but they have that kind of dynamic that's that's you know so realistic between two friends, and that's what I think you know Joe and Seth were able to kind of so wonderfully capture in the film. Um, but in real life, Seth is. Um, a much more toned down version of <laughs> of his character. Although I will say they are they are cut from the same cloth. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned, you know, I mean and understandable that you mentioned Will being around on the set every day. I mean, writers notor- notoriously are all of a sudden become the bottom of the barrel usually, at least they feel that way on movie yeah. sets. You know, their scripts get sold and then it's you know um but obviously it, it sounds like you took special care um, and maybe, obviously, the subject matter made this one a little bit different to have Will around. I mean, this was essentially, in the end, still his words. I mean, how many kind of rewrites? I mean, obviously, stuff gets cut, as you mentioned. But, um, 
he was there as a resource and and really yeah, he kind was of there as a resource and he was he would he would rewrite you know the night before sometimes if we would rehearse something and it wasn't wasn't quite working he was very for you know for someone's first script he was he was incredibly proficient at at being agile to 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 you know and not married to certain things and and to let the movie be kind of a fluid thing and I think you know that's that's that tone is set by Seth and Evan who had worked with Judd Apatow and who kind of. Uh, treated the script as a fluid thing and 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 incorporated actors' ideas and 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 inc- you know and and it was an incredibly collaborative environment. But will you know to his credit? I mean, it has to be incredibly difficult to come and 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 give this personal story kind of away to people and put it in their hands. I mean, it's a, it's a huge responsibility as a director for me. Um, and Will was able to do that, and he was there as a resource, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't rigid about things unless they were really, really important to him. And when they were really important to him, you know, I took notice because that that meant that, you know, it was that much truer, you know. Yeah. What would you say that he really stuck to his guns on in terms of the stuff that was really important to him? I mean, he was very much, you know, and this is not something that that he was very much into making sure. Um, we were tracking the kind of specific, um, you know, the specifics of the med- of, of of the medical kind of journey that Adam went on, um, you know, and 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 where he was was it his first chemo, second chemo, um, what were the kind of side effects, what were the kind of and and it's not necessarily even something that that is that is kind of in your face on screen, but it's something we were always kind of tracking um, throughout the production process. And, and as I said, this is not like a big budget movie. Um, so, you know, we couldn't afford to shoot in chronological order. So, you know, we're always doing things to kind of make, you know, re- make Joe look skinnier, make Joe look healthier. You know, there's there's always things going on, um, you know, as far as kind of what, what stage he's in in, in his battle. Um, and Will was, you know, very, very kind of, um, on top of it, and 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 I I you know I, I appreciate it so much because it's it's so important to to making this thing feel grounded and true. Yeah, that's great. So lastly, tonight so tonight's your New York premiere, is that right? Tonight is the premiere. Yes. Yeah. So that'll be fine. Did you guys do one in L.A. or or? We didn't do one in L.A. Okay. We didn't do one in L.A. But it's 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 good for me because I like New York better than L.A. and I. <laughs> I I grew up in New York, and and I'm gonna we're gonna it's gonna be like a you know like a bar mitzvah. Like we're all you know it's it's like we all have so many we all have so many friends, and and it's gonna be very very fun and just a a, a, a night to celebrate and and not you know think about releasing the movie and just just be proud of what we did and and hopefully you know people like it. But if not, we'll be we'll be dancing, we'll be <laughs> drunkenly dancing. Okay, well, great. Well, have a terrific time tonight, and uh, I know everybody, uh, you know, all of our listeners, and it's such a meaningful thing for all of the the young adult survivor community, you know, who really kind of needs a voice, needs somebody to step forward and say, hey, I was in my 20s and I went through this, and I was able to laugh, and I was able to, you know, hang out with my best friend and do this, and here's what I went through, and uh, so it's an amazing thing. I know that our audience is, like, really embracing it and very excited about it, so um, That's wonderful. That that means means a lot to me, and and, and I'm so grateful for you uh, for for having me, and thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Jonathan. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well done. All right, that's it, folks. Well done. So I thought it, I thought it was interesting a couple points when he said that the uh, they had the scene where he would, he did address banking his sperm, but it just didn't work with the film. Right. And so that ended up on the cutting room floor. Floor won't even make it in the DVD, evidently, as he said. Wow. 
and that Seth actually met his fiance on set at a at, no, a, at a at a party right. when they were first thinking about having the discussion about whether or not this would be a movie, and they brought it up with this girl. Right. And, there you uh, go. Now he's now she's going to be his wife. You women. Oh. You hold all Uh-oh. the cards. Easy. You hold all the cards. Easy, man. There you go. Jonathan Levine, 50-50. Amazing. So it opens uh, Friday. Right? Yes. It opens Friday. It opens Friday, folks. All right. Well, let's get right to our spotlight because she's been very patient. Megan Hildebrandt received her BFA in 2006 from the University of Michigan. She then traveled as an artist-in-residence aboard the AirTran USA and Art Museum housing railway cars for six months. Did she have a stick with a bag on it and living with hobos? We'll find out. She lived in Baltimore for three years, founding a community-based performance project called Do Your Steps, which encouraged Baltimore residents to take a marble stoop scrubbing again. My old job. And dressed as a 1940s housewife going door-to-door with a can of Bonami. All right, she, what? I have no idea. <laughs> she, she will explain all this to us. I feel like I'm reading Greek. She has traveled uh, to artist residencies in Washington, Vermont, Maryland, and New Mexico. Diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of 25, her current project is a graphic novel detailing her cancer experience. Please welcome the stupid cancer show, Megan Hildebrandt. Megan. Hello, Megan. Hi. Thanks Hello. for having me. Is it? Isn't bone on me that hipster uh, hipster bathroom cleaner? <laughs> it's not hipster. It's vintage and like authentic. Oh, totally. <laughs> hipster, vintage, and authentic. I love it. <laughs> well, I I got, have to admit, I, as I recall, I think the moment I was told about you or your work, I was like, we got to get this girl on the show. You have such really? a compelling story. Wow. Your art, your 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 art, your your graphic novel. It's just so compelling and so extraordinary. Um, and it reminds me, and I'm not making a parallel directly here, but I have a friend named Marisa Acacello, um What's her last name? Uh, anyway, she wrote a graphic novel called Cancer Vixen. Which oh, my God. It's I huge. totally yeah. know that book. You it's know? a terrific book. It took off like yeah. crazy. I've known Marisa for maybe eight years, uh, long before I2Y, long before everything, and, and I've been friends with her, and I've watched her. And actually, we our, our Team Stupid Cancer Marathon team um, had its pre-marathon dinner at her husband's restaurant, which is a very famous New York Italian restaurant, the Silva, yeah, or yeah. Dal Silvano, whatever it's called, called something yeah. like that. I don't. Uh, know. I believe it's Dal Silvano. Yes. But, but anyway, Megan, when I when I found out about you and read your story, I was like, it harkened me back to cancer victim. Like you, this is so embodying the, the power of of uh, of the young adult cancer movement through your art. Uh, why don't you just start by talking us through? Um, you're, you know, Hodgkin's lymphoma at 25, not an uncommon disease at 25, but we're interested in hearing where you were in your life at the time, what mm-hmm. you had grand plans for, and how ridiculous the uh, process of getting diagnosed was. Well, um, I I felt this weird sort of mosquito bite-sized lump the um, day I was leaving Baltimore to drive to Florida for my first day of grad school. Um, and I didn't have health insurance. I hadn't had it for about four years since I got, you know, kicked off my parents um, after graduating college. And so I just kind of thought it would go away. And within the, like, you know, 24 hours it took me to get down to Florida in my car, it had quadrupled in size and become the size of a softball on my um, neck and kind of made me look like I was, like, an elephantitis freak. That's a fun um, drive for you. 
<laughs> it was great. Um, as if the so drive isn't bad I, enough alone, that was going I on. know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I still kind of didn't, I mean, obviously I wasn't thinking this is definitely cancer, and I didn't have insurance, so I kind of just ignored it and, like, wrapped this, like, wool scarf around my neck in August in Florida um, to try to conceal it because <laughs> yeah. I didn't want, like, my new grad school friends to think I was weird. Um, so it, I, I was having, like, you know, night sweats. I was, you know, but I also thought, oh, it's because it's hot in my new environment. Right. Um, but it, it didn't go away. And one night I was out at the bar with all my new grad school friends, and I noticed that after I drank beer, it, like, throbbed a lot and kind of got bigger, and I was totally embarrassed. Um, so I knew that it was – I thought it might be maybe I was allergic to alcohol, which would have really sucked. Um, so I got kind of depressed because I thought I was allergic to beer. Um then I, did, I wasn't registered for classes yet, um, so I couldn't even get seen at the um, health clinic for students here on campus. So, I mean, being in Florida for, you know, a week maybe at this point, I wasn't a Florida resident yet, so I kind of just started to go around to all those kind of, like, doctor's RS, creepy, like, little clinics that you can't really be sure about. And I got turned away because I wasn't a Florida resident yet, and I couldn't pay the $100 fee. So I ended up going to the ER where um, my doctor was like, looked like exactly like Doogie Howser. And he, he asked me if I was depressed. He first thought, he said, oh, I think you're depressed. And then he said, I think you might have HIV. Wow. And then, yeah, yeah. And then he did a, a, a CT scan, and um, which he said, oh, it was an infection, and then he gave me, like, a seven-day antibiotic. So you ran the um, gamut there with your diagnoses. Yeah, he really – and then there was this, like, ER priest who came around and, like, wanted me to pray with him. It was, like, really horrible. Whoa. Um, I had a priest come to me, and I told him I was Jewish. <laughs> that's good. And I he went away. That one. And that was the end of that? You know that story, Lise? No. I mean, Wait. I, no, I'm just a quick – just another sequitur. She said that. I had a priest come to me when I was in the uh, in the, the NICU, like four hours after my brain surgery. Yeah. I was intubated. I was under like a morphine drip. I looked up in my groggy eyes, and I saw a priest, and I started screaming, I'm Jewish, and he left. <laughs> True story. True story. I thought the Judeo-Christian thing that you kind of came together and embraced it all. But No, I mean, I was only like, well, you know, it can't hurt. Give me a wafer. But sure. I, you know, oh, whatever. Like, Jesus, Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> so, so, Megan, you also had, you, you had a traveling priest who came and yes. swung by you as well. Right, but, you but I didn't say I was Jewish because I was raised Catholic, so I couldn't say that. You did a lie. Kind of <laughs> we're good people. Yeah. <laughs> but you weren't you weren't so interested in that at the time. So, wow. So you really, no. like I said, you ran the gamut there. Yeah, and then I ended up, I mean, I finally got registered for my, um, for our, like, kind of podunk student health plan for grad students that's, like, you know, the bottom of the barrel. Um and, but by that time, I was thinking, oh, it's weird, the antibiotic didn't work yet, and my new grad friends were kind of like, huh, that weird lump hasn't gone away yet. They, they were more concerned than me, a lot, for me. But then I finally went to the health clinic, and um, they said, oh, you know, we should refer you to Moffitt Cancer Center, which is, like, right, it's, like, five feet away from my university. Um, so I got in there, but then um, I once they did the biopsy, I had only been on the new insurance, the grad insurance, for two days. So um, Blue Cross then kicked me off because they said I had a pre-existing condition, even though I technically didn't. 
What? Um, it was too close for them, and so then. Um, I love insurance. Yeah, yeah, but but I've, I've, I'm on charity now at Moffitt, which has been pretty good. My only concern now is like, how do I ever get insurance again? You know. Um. But, yeah. So now you're so. So I'm sorry. So now, so you're currently uninsured. No, I'm uninsured, but I'm I'm charity at this hospital. Um, okay. So I'm I'm uninsured, but I I kind of think of charity sometimes as insurance because you kind of get everything for free. I don't know. Maybe that's dumb, but. And and so you're I'm sorry, Megan. You're you're how many years out now? I well, I got into remission about a year and a half ago, and my treatment ended in um, April of 2010. April 2010. Okay. It's like a year and a half ago, ish. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your what was your discharge papers? Did they like you know go back come come and see us again sometime or you know good oh. luck have a nice life or what? It's kind of like well, I have to go in. I've had to go in every three months for you know CT scans. Um, I mean I've had 14 CT scans in the past two years, which is now my my biggest one of my bigger concerns is like the overzealous, what I feel is a pretty overzealous approach by Western medicine of using CT scans when they're not sure in 30 years for young adults especially what's going to come out of it um, for us in the long run. Um, So I, you know, I did every three months for CT scans and then um, I did every, like since I got into remission I've had it every three months. And, um, but now the last appointment I had they said, Oh, Ms. Hildebrandt, we've actually been overscanning you, and we—it's just a new Florida law, and so now we've decided that, oops, we overscanned you about five times, but now we'll move to you only to every six months. Sorry. And then they reminded me that I was legal—I was legally able to re- not do a CT scan if I wanted to. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. CT scans really um, bother me, which they probably do for a lot of cancer survivors. So talk us through the transition from these art projects mm-hmm. to writing the graphic novel. What, what's the, the title? Yeah. Uh, what's its nature? What, what are your goals with it? Yeah. Well, um, when I was undergoing chemotherapy, I refused to do any art about it. All of my professors, of course, were like, oh, you know, cancer is such a, you know, rich territory for you to explore. But for me then it was like, I mean, it was my whole life, and I felt like art was the only place I could kind of escape it. Um, so I was actually making images of, like, natural disaster victims in Florida, like sinkhole victims, um, which now I see was also probably about cancer, which is kind of like a sinkhole that just, you know, the ground just disappears from you below you. You were making art about natural disaster victims. Sinkhole that, yeah, victims? that's what I was doing during chemo. Wow. Okay. Um, and then I kind of just... It, there was, oh, I know what it was. I was reading Harvey Pekar's book. Do you guys know that graphic novel? It's Our Cancer Year. Um, no, so but Har- I, I, I want to. Yeah, yeah, because um, Harvey Pekar, who passed oh, away. Oh, Harvey Pekar, like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, so he, like. Oh, that was um, that movie with What's-His-Face. Yes, with Paul Giamatti. Yeah, okay. Giamatti, yeah. yeah. So um, I read that, and then I read I read um, Cancer Vixen, which, and I felt like, and then there's this other one, Mom's Cancer, by this, um, you know, young artist observing his mother die of lung cancer. And it just felt like there was there was something in the, there was room in the genre to 
to talk about my own experience, which, you know, cancer vixen, you know, being the only big one by a woman right now, it's, it, I mean, I liked it, but it also was really different from my experience. And I just thought, you know, if there was something I could have read during chemo that was about a young, uninsured, you know, kind of poor young woman, and I could have, it might have helped me. Because um, I liked the Harvey Pekar, I liked Cancer Vixen, but I felt like they weren't telling things I had been through. Um, so I started, um, I started the project in last December, and I've kind of been going full steam on it since then. Um, uh, but the images have kind of changed. I was, I first started just doing a kind of like chronological series about this happened to me, then this happened to me, then this happened to me. But since then, they've become a lot more sort of fantastical and um, maybe more what chemo and cancer feel like versus exactly what it looks like. Do you know what I mean? You know what she means, Matthew. What are you talking about? And you are? Lisa, what? <laughs> no, of course, of course. Um, we we unfortunately have not as much time as we'd like to have because we, we had the miracle of getting John Levine on uh, yeah, to, to yeah. do the show. Yeah, yeah. So, Not that every guess isn't a miracle. No, everyone is. I mean, I don't. I meant the miracle of like we actually got in touch with a man I've been chasing for three years. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a miracle. Um, but uh, talk us through uh, like where are you off tonight? I mean, your bio is extraordinary. You're getting your MFA uh, in South Florida. You got a, an arts management grant to publish your novel. Yeah. Where do you see yourself going? What do you want um, the world to know? Hmm. Well, I think I want well, a big thing I've been thinking about lately is I want art that's made by people that have gone through an illness, not to just be thought of as art therapy. Um, not that art therapy is not great, and it a lot of people use the art therapy room at my hospital, but there's kind of this like snobbery sometimes in the art world that if you're making art about an illness, it kind of is put into this category of oh, art therapy. And then it's not as well respected as as other kind of work. I think that's an excellent point. Oh, thanks. I, um, I yeah, it's art. <laughs> Period. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think, I mean, you know, I want to get this book out. I'm also making a lot of animations about just the weirdness of being in a cancer hospital. Um, but I I I do see this as a project that will go on. And it might not always be about cancer, but right now it definitely is. And I think it's more about taking stock of mortality in a bigger way at a young age and how weird that is. Um, I think as an so, artist, you know, what you're what you're trying to say is, you know, people, artists draw on so many facets of their lives. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't you draw on an illness if you've gone through it the way Will Reiser did for his screenplay, the way that you're yeah. doing and why would you tag that as some sort of specific art therapy just for people who are perhaps going through an illness as a way to work through it? But it's not therapy. It's, it's art. It's art like you would incorporate any other part of your life into no, your art. What like, artists do? Therapy is clinical. You know, music mm-hmm. therapy. I, I, I mean, I was a, I was a concert pianist, and like when my my albums started getting out of the cancer centers, they're like, "Oh, are you a music therapist?" I'm like, "No." Uh-huh. I'm, a, I'm an artist, and I wrote songs, and if you happen to find them relaxing, that's fantastic, but this ain't no therapy. You know? <laughs> Conversely, all art is, you know, therapy. To the, yeah. or, no, it's therapy to the artist. 
to the artist. Or therapy. even for the person who's taking it in. I mean, it can be therapy. You listen to a song or look at a painting if you're not the person, you know. You're like anecdotally therapist. But anyway, ther- I, 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 what we're all trying to say is that Megan makes an excellent point with this, and I think that's a terrific uh, way to express it, and hopefully going forward would be embraced as any other work of art. So yeah. so we have to wrap, but I want the audience to know how they can learn more about you, your work, your art. You have a website, you're on Facebook. What's what's the deal? Oh, yeah, you can go to MeganHildebrandt.com. All right, we'll put That's, that right in the chat room, well, Kenny. H-I-L-D-E-B-R-A-N-D-T. And it's yes. Megan with an M-E-G-A-N, no superfluous E's, A's, or G's, or H's. Thank you. Okay. I'd like to buy a vowel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Megan, regular, phonics, we like it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for letting me be on your show. I really liked it. We're thrilled uh, to have made your acquaintance. You're a uh, rock star in our community, and good luck with everything. Thank you so much, you guys. Take All care. Right. Megan Hildebrand, everybody. <laughs> All right. You want to do just a quick news, and then we'll bring on Wrong Way to Hope? Sure, Matthew. All right. So let's let's just forget the the opening segment. We're just going to announce a couple of really quick things here. Um, I'll just cue this back up again because it's just good background music. All right. Should I jump over? Just say head on over to... I will. Go, just say exactly <laughs> just say what it for her. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. Matthew, why don't you tell us what's happening in the neck of the woods? Hey, Kenny, why don't you tell us what's happening in the neck of the woods? Um, we got some wildlife. Hurry up. What? We're tight for time, what Kenny. What neck of the woods? He doesn't know. Where All right, ne- nobody's got any neck of the woods. Where are the next happy hours? What's happening on your neck? Kenny's What's still happening prepared. in the woods? All right, just go to the website and find out where they are. All right. All right, tomorrow morning is the official launch of the OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults 2012 in Las Vegas at the Palms Casino Resort. Ink your calendars for March 30th, March 31st, and April 1st for an all-out weekend of insanely awesome programs, events, social networking at the hippest event in all of Cancerland and the most anticipated healthcare event of 2012. Keep your eyes peeled at omg2012.org tomorrow morning. All right, Stupid Cancer Forums. Well, they have more than 900 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. And that, and that is your Stupid, stupid cancer, cancer News. All righty. So yes, indeed. Whoa. Shifted gears here with the music. Yeah, so let's... All right, we're going to be introducing like four people right now. That's right. You want to do two and two, Maddie? I'll do Mike. Go ahead. You can do the rest. Oh, you're just going to take Mike. Yeah, because I, I, I only like Mike. I don't like anyone else. I like oh, Mike. hi, everybody else. <laughs> All right. Mikey Lang is a three-year Hodgkin's... Uh, wait. Is a three-year Hodgkin's survivor and graduate of Trinity Western University with a BHK, that's some Canada thing, in recreation based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He's worked with the Young Adult Cancer Canada, our friend Jeff Eaton on the show, mm-hmm. facilitating close to 20 retreats, conferences, and activity-based support groups for the young adult survivors, and is currently the Cancer Survivor Support Network Coordinator with the University of Calgary Tom Baker Cancer Center. Fresh out of treatments, Mike produced the film Wrong Way to Hope, an inspiring story of young adults and cancer, which follows the first nine-day kayaking expedition with the small nonprofit he founded and runs the Survive and Thrive Expeditions Program. Together with his wife, Bonnie, 
Mike loves to make inspiring up of the film ski, rock climb, and stand up on top of big mountains. Lisa. All right. Aaron Bryant is with us. He is a young adult cancer advocate. He's the director of Wrong Way to Hope, an inspiring story of young adults and cancer. And he's got a video production house outside of Seattle, and he's a father of four. That's what we know about Aaron Bryant. We're very excited to have him. He beats me. I got two. You got two. He's got four. We've also got Jen Luth. She has had a rare form of ovarian cancer in 2006 at the age of 29. She's almost five years clear. Since her diagnosis, she sought out ways to advocate for young adults dealing with cancer. She's spoken at several events, attended many retreats and conferences, and has been a supporter with Young Adult Cancer's Cancer Canada Retreat, Retreat Yourself for the last three summers, and she's writing a book about the experience of others she's met along the way. And she had no idea that she would eventually become a part of this amazing community and be strengthened by other stories, and she's clearly an inspiration for others as well. And our last guest, Matthew, is Lori Hinsberger, and I don't have a bio for her here. No, we didn't, we didn't get a bio. We'll, we'll make something up. Lori was raised by wolves in uh, Manitoba. Manitoba. Uh, well, it's Canada, right? Before we co- I think so. Before relocating to uh, Nova Scotia. Yes. And then the Northwest Territories, where she formed an igloo community of Mounties eating uh, maple leaves, playing hockey. Please welcome to the show, Jan Luce, Aaron Bryant, Mike Lang, and Lori Hinsberger. Wrong way to hope. Folks. The wrong way to hope team. Yeah. And, and Lori, for the record, you can blame Mike and Aaron for not getting me your bio. <laughs> Okay, we got to chuckle out of her. <laughs> I thought it was a great bio. That's totally right, isn't it, Lori? I, I tried oh, to pull every yeah, conceivable, can, yeah, every conceivable Canadian stereotype possible, <laughs> without Britney Spears, Michael Moore, or uh, Mario Lemieux. We left out Michael J. Fox, Alan Thicke, Alicia and, Silverstone. Yeah, and great. Seth Rogen. And Seth Rogen, right? Okay. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Rogen. We are thrilled to have you guys on the on the uh, on the line. This film the, has been the brought Power to my, Canadian team. No, this is the Power Cancer Film of Canada, and hopefully, you know, the world. Because when I first learned about this film, I was like, we got to know about these folks. We got to get involved with these folks. Um, no one's really done what they're quite doing this way. And again, this goes back to our theme tonight, where how young adults really have the power to encapsulate what our movement is all about, how we're a different breed, and how to build that into the cultural consciousness of the universe. So kudos to all of you. Let's first start with Mike. Mike, you are the uh the precipitator of this problem uh, and all because you all because you got stupid cancer. Why don't you talk us through that? Yeah, well, I yeah, I guess like most stories on the show it starts with cancer and uh I uh was living the dream, working as a ski patroller up in Whistler, BC. Uh, living in my van in the impound lot, and uh, it was just, uh, it was awesome. I was enjoying every minute of it, and then I got sick. And for a year and a half, I was uh, um, sort of shipped around from doctor to doctor. Uh, They wavered between mono and asthma, and uh, I thought it was asthma. And then eventually someone decided to do a chest X-ray and found out that I had a grapefruit-sized tumor in my chest, and, uh, and then they did some other scans and found out there's lots of other tumors all over my body. So... Yeah, that was how it started. <laughs> so you were diagnosed with everything but what you actually had. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> tried out ten different types of puffers and uh, nothing was working. So, yeah, it was it was a long road to finally get diagnosed with with Hodgkin's. So, 
And um, along the way, when did it? Have, had you done film before? Have you been in the arts? What compelled you to say this needs to be documented? Yeah, well, I think the really, I think treatments were difficult, right? And we all know how crappy those can be. But I think the one of the hardest parts for me was this feeling of sort of purposeless suffering, you know, like a wasted, wasting the best years of my life type of thing. And and I was actually getting pretty angry and bitter about it and I was actually getting angry at other people who had nothing to do with my my cancer experience and and uh, once I realized I was becoming that bitter angry person I I figured I better find a way to engage with this thing before it turns me into that 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 monster you know and so I started looking at some of the skills and abilities that I had and uh, you know I'd led a lot a lot of adventure trips and so I thought well I'm good at that maybe I'll do an adventure trip and then uh, as I started planning it and Looking into it a bit more, I realized that, you know, the stories that are going to be shared on this trip are going to be really powerful, and, and survivors need to hear them, and that's when we came up with the idea to make a film about the trip, and that's when I called Aaron <laughs> at Hands On Films. And did you know Aaron prior to this, or did you randomly call this guy, and he was like, who the hell are you? <laughs> yeah, well, no, we were good friends. We worked as guides together um, a few years back, and he had just started sort of a, a film company on the side, and so I phoned him up to talk to him he was the only one i knew that had ever made a film or anything like that and i definitely had never done anything like that so he was the first one i called so before we get to the film i want to introduce jen and laura to the conversation but talk to me first about you know did you meet any other young adult survivors along your journey and if you did were they of comfort if they if you didn't were you pissed and at what point did Jeff Eaton's group get involved with you and for you to realize that you can recruit from these stories of these people in making this mm -hmm. film with Aaron? Yeah, well, I only met one young adult through my whole treatment. And I saw him across the, the waiting room, and he sort of came over and sat down, and we started just chatting. And uh, it ended up being like this hour-long, intense conversation. <laughs> and to the point where we were just connecting on such a deep level. We were both, like, fighting back tears in the middle of this waiting room, and everyone's looking at us funny. And uh, then I realized, you know, how important it is to be able to connect with people who really understand what's what's going on with you. And um, actually, a few treatments later, I was walking out of the hospital, and I picked up a poster that had fallen on the ground to put it back on the wall, and it said, uh, Young Adult Cancer Canada, retreat for young adult cancer survivors. And, and so like what i didn't know anything existed i didn't know any other young adults got cancer really and so then i uh phoned them up and asked if i could go to the conference and that's where i met all the awesome people who are in the in the film so let's then go to jen jen why don't you tell us your story uh you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer not an uncommon cancer in young women uh were you single were you married did you have kids already mm -hmm. No, I was in a long-term relationship, and that just uh, didn't continue. <laughs> um, things were very difficult um, as a relationship. I really depended on my partner, and he was not able to be there for me. He had his own story as well. Um, he lost his grandmother to cancer when he was young and just carried this story along with him, I guess, um, fear of of what could potentially happen with me, and so he really isolated himself from from the relationship, which made it really difficult. How long had you guys been together? We had been together for a little over three years. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Not, not uncommon to hear a story like no. that, but 
No, I'm trying to find the statistics. Someone had told me that through through any kind of traumatic disease or traumatic experience, the probability of a relationship lasting was only something like 10%, which yeah. is insane. The other the other filmmaker that we were just you had the interview with, Fifty Fifty, that's actually portrayed in that film. Not to give too much away, but it the was, struggle with having a, a being in a relationship when you get a but, diagnosis. But to that, uh, the fact that you know, if if the success rate of a relationship is ten percent in the event of something catastrophic happening, ninety percent of those catastrophes are people just being batshit fucked up. <laughs> Disease notwithstanding. Right. Mm-hmm. I actually was able to see 50-50 on behalf of, of um, Young Adult Cancer Canada and really likened it and, and saw a lot of parallels to, to the film that um, all of us were a part of. And it, was, uh, yeah. it was really great, some of the issues and the humor that was brought out in it. So when you were approached by Mike or Aaron to say, hey, you want to be in a film, you know, did you like freak the hell out or what happened? It didn't quite happen that way, actually. Mikey and Bonnie were at a um, Young Adult Cancer Canada Survivor Conference that was held in Lake Louise in 2008. Was it, Mikey? Was it 2008, I think? Ooh, I don't... uh, Yes. 2008? Yes, because the film was in 2009. So him and Bonnie actually presented this idea in the middle of the room in a kind of round circle area said, Hey, uh, we think this might be kind of an insane idea, but is anybody interested? And I could not hold myself back to putting my hand up. (laughs) I can't, I can't believe they all just like put up their hands and came talk to us afterwards. That was like a big surprise. (laughs) So let's, Let's let's talk to the director here. Wait, so, wait I want to get to oh. Lori though, real quick, because okay. Lori, I actually okay, found let's out get to Lori. Lori actually was diagnosed with colon cancer. She did not live in an igloo eating whale blubber <laughs> with hockey sticks and Mounties. <laughs> sure, she did. Why not? <laughs> well, maybe she did. But Lori, go ahead. Well, I don't know if I can beat uh, you know the the way you introduced me, but uh, I'll try. <laughs> um, I was like everybody else. Uh, I was misdiagnosed um, with mono. And when um, I got to the hospital, uh, the doctors were very concerned. Um, They knew something was wrong, and they knew that I was dying, uh, but they didn't know what was wrong. And I had a blood test done, and there was no mono in my system. So their first thing was, oh, she has leukemia. Um, So after that, through multiple tests, uh, the doctor felt my stomach and said there's something in there I think it's a tumor and I'm pretty sure it's cancerous Uh, so yeah it was kind of a whirlwind of uh, multiple blood transfusions to be strong enough to have surgery and um, I had just accepted a first time teaching position so I was just starting my career and a month later I was diagnosed and then uh, Going through my chemo treatments, one of my student loans went into default uh, for school. So while I was doing chemo treatments and teaching kindergarten, I was being harassed on the phone by um, a collection agency who didn't really care that I was trying to survive. So wow. I think being a young So young that stuff adult, actually happened in Canada too? Yeah. We think of everything as being so nice up there. <laughs> well, it's just I think for anybody, especially a young adult, there's so much juggling. Like right. So right. many there's so mm-hmm. many challenges challenges to face. 
And I think that's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people that really don't understand those challenges. Like, I know my first uh, support group was for over 50. Uh, they have nothing in common with a 28-year-old. They don't care that they're losing their hair. They've had their children. They've had their careers. And, you know, they go to their cottages. <laughs> um, I'm just worried about, you know, paying my rent at the time and surviving. So, yeah, it's a lot of things to, to juggle. So, Erin, now let's get let let's get to you. So, you get a call from Mike, who I I know is referred to as Mikey. Though even when you we met you at the <laughs> OMG Summit, uh, the woman you were with called you Mikey. Pat Teller. Yeah. 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 I I just ran. I guess I just get that from everyone after a while. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm Mikey. short. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Erin, what did you think? You get this. You get this call from Mikey. <laughs> yeah. And, and he uh, likes it. And he likes it. Right. Um, and what was your what was your thought about putting this together as a film? For sure, yeah, we got we got a call. You mentioned uh, introducing, or Mike was talking about himself being bitter and angry. And for all of us that have known Mike and his wife Bonnie and worked with those guys, that's probably the last words we would ever use for those guys because they're they're so exciting. They're a lot of fun to be with. And uh, when the cancer came, man, it just shocked all of us. We were. As you mentioned, we are wilderness guides with youth dynamics in the uh, in the Northwest here in the in the states, and so we were uh, we just wanted to do whatever we could do to help him out. And uh, when I got the call, um, I think it took us about ten seconds to uh, to say, "Yeah, you bet, we'll do it." And I think at that time we were actually looking at doing a expedition in the Nepal area on some river that had never been ran, and uh, <laughs> we thought, "Yeah, yeah, this sounds good. Let's." Uh, Let's do this. Um, I'm also just to just to clarify here. I'm here with the the co-director Fred Sprinkle through the entire production process. Fred and I have and Mikey have kind of walked this road together. So if you hear another voice speak up, uh, it's not my multiple personality. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Uh, it's my uh, it's my partner here, Fred. So anyway, we're glad to have Fred joining us. Hello, Fred. Hello. Hello. Fred. Hi. <laughs> so talk us through this film. The idea was, you know, going through cancer wasn't hard enough. Let's throw these amateurs in a river with a with a paddle and hope they float, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh <laughs> to put it simply, maybe, you know, I, I think the the idea behind it was to was to share the stories, these survivor stories in sort of an engaging way and, and sort of use the river as an analogy for for some of the the difficulties and trials I guess that you go through with cancer, and so we chose some specific themes that are pretty unique to to young adults, you know things like the profound isolation and the you know really difficult with difficulties with relationships and um you know I- identity issues, all that stuff. We just sort of picked these things that <laughs> that we were having a, that I was having a really hard time with, and I thought other young adults might be too and and decided to yeah um explore those sort of out in this intense environment and it was it was pretty it was pretty tiring for all of us but um, we still had our like two hour sharing (laughs) sessions each night even after a full day of kayaking and uh, Aaron and Fred did an amazing job of turning that into a really Mm. cool story of uh, I guess of actually seeing people overcome some of these things that they were talking about um, in in the evening sessions at night we got in a boat in there (laughs) 
<laughs> it's been worth it. <laughs> nice. I was just waiting for that. It can stay on the air. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for, for the two women in the film, what came out? What was revealed? What was unexpected uh, as you shared the story, not only as you went down the river, but I, I imagine there was stuff that had to have um, really even surprised the two of you as you went along this journey. Can you speak to that? Um, I think uh, for me, the biggest thing for me, because I had colon cancer, was uh, digestive issues, uh, I think, which has held me back. This is Lori speaking. Go ahead, Lori. And a lot of, that's okay, and a lot of people saying, no, you can't do that, no, you can't do this, and, um, you know, just, just that in itself, but I think big, the biggest thing was the digestive issue, which... I never had an issue with it. I thought the food was amazing, and I think <laughs> just the fear uh, or trying to push beyond that fear. And at the time, I was about my five year, which was when they shut the cancer book at the cancer or shut my file at the cancer center, and then I'm considered, you know, that's it. I'm in remission. So I wanted to do something um, to get out of my comfort zone, and this was an amazing trip, and. Yeah, just pushing beyond that fear. I mean, I was out of my boat more than I was in my boat. I went down rapids backwards. I mean, Meaning in the water. Awesome. Yeah. Lori was the queen the of water. backwards. Yeah, yeah I, I, I rocked that. Yeah, yes, she had three you did. or four rapids backwards. Pretty awesome. And, and what about you, Jen? Well, with myself, I, I think over the years and... Even, I would say, just slightly before cancer, I was starting to just sign up for things, show up for stuff, not really think too much about what was going to happen. And really, I did not have a clue showing up on this trip what was going to happen. Again, a little bit with the digestive issues and um, some of the whole bringing everything in, taking everything out aspect in the complete literal sense was uh, was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Um, sleeping out under the stars, that was the first time that had ever happened for me, and feeling so connected to the group that I was with and to the earth um, was just, it was incredible. I had, I, I went and saw my oncologist today, actually, for pretty much my five-year appointment, and wow. she said that I have, out of all the young adults she sees, which is very, very few, um, I've had one of the toughest times with recovery. And so that was one of my biggest fears going on that trip is that energy-wise I couldn't handle it, that I was just going to be an emotional wreck, that my digestion (laughs) was going to affect me, and that I wasn't going to be able to do it. But the amount of support that I got from everybody and just that feeling of welcomeness, as I have with most in most uh, young adult cancer survivor patient settings was really paramount and it really helped me uh helped me move through and and get everything I could out of it. It sounds it sounds a bit like you're still emotional about it and particularly today is a big day for you if you went for it your was. 5 years today. It pretty much was. You I get a round have... of applause for that, Matthew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah, I guess I am still a little bit raw about it all. Um, I've been really involved with with everything that I can be just because I think it's so important to get connected. And that's that is one of that's actually was one of our first topics um on the trip was about transition and the life lesson was get connected and it's it's so important. Mm-hmm. What is the reason for the name of the film? Who came up with that? <laughs> well, I uh, it was me and Aaron and Fred sitting around in their uh, garage thinking it up, and uh, really the the idea behind it was that, and as well as the logo too, it's sort of that road sign with a with a sort of loop loop in it, and it's that whole idea that you never you never expect something like cancer to come into your life, and when it does, it really messes things up big time. Um, but you'd also never expect that um, that coming out of a cancer journey like that, that you could actually be in a more hopeful place for your life. You know, it, it's the wrong path to take to arrive at a more hopeful place for where your life is going. And um, it's, you know, not always the case, and it's definitely a journey, but um, for all of us on that trip, we were I think we were all really surprised by the end of it at how, how much more at peace we felt about all the difficulties and all the stuff we had to go through um, just by being able to share our stories with each other and really support each other in that way. And so that, you know, it has some other meanings, and that's the cool part is that every time we go to a screening, people ask that question, and every time I ask them, well, what do you think it means? And they, they come up with some amazingly profound answer, but uh, that's that's sort of what our what our idea was. So one you interesting just... thing that we... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, one interesting thing we kind of noted as we've walked through this process, both with completing the film and then even the film tour that we've we've seen it go out on, is you tell people that you've made a, a documentary about young adult cancer survivors, and you, you use that word cancer, and it, you just see that look appear in people's faces, you know, or or maybe they respond, you know, on Facebook or email, and, and you just kind of you get this, oh, that's that's nice, you know, but we really we'd rather do something fun, you know, something that's yeah. a little more exciting. Um, and so to encounter that stigma, but then maybe even entering into the process a little bit with that ourselves. And then walking through this this story that kind of unfolded over the time period on the Oahe River, and recognizing that you know Mike uses the word hope, and it was such a positive experience. Like even even each one of these eight young adult cancer survivors, as they start sharing their story, um, it was what you heard Lori and Jen and Mike. They all you know this is this is why I guess we're on this this show today. You know they're speaking about how cancer walked in. But then as we walked with them, you know, day one turned into day five and into day seven, it was you started to get more of that bigger story that's happening in their life. And then even seeing this community uh, come together, you know, be together on the beaches, kayak down through these rapids, swim, you know, encounter some tough times, encounter some really hilarious times. And you just started to see this this hope rising that it almost catches you by surprise. And and really, even with the theme of the of the entire documentary, that's. That's the heart of it. It's actually way more encouraging than people, you know, assume it's going to be. They assume it's going to be a downer. You know, when you're ready sure. to cry on a Friday night, that's when you want to pick up this mm-hmm. film. And it, it really wasn't the case <laughs> whatsoever. It was about hope, and it is and about hope. Another, just another quick point on that. Um, another small, small point of the title of the film, Wrong Way to Hope, is, at least in my mind, when we were coming up with the name, had to do with kind of, I was thinking of what's the common way in our culture that people find hope. And the idea that you're taught from grade school is you go through school, you go to college, you get your job, 
you own your home, you start buying your home, you get your nice car, you know, you find your wife. And so there's these steps in our culture towards what our culture would say is hope, like towards hopeful. And you kind of think to yourself, I don't want anything to get in the way of these steps towards hope. And then cancer comes into people's lives. Even though we haven't personally dealt with it, we see the people in these stories telling how cancer came in and blocked off that normal way to hope. Right. So they had to find a wrong way to hope, in a sense. And that's kind of what the film is about, too, that they talk a lot about all the normal things got shut down, at least for a while. And so how do you find a wrong way to hope, another way to hope, maybe even a better way in the long run? It it asks that question at times. Um, So that's kind of another facet of it. So so you guys just, like, destroyed Canada with an amazing tour, and you're going to take over the the United States soon? (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll see about that. We we did take it across across the country, and we got to show it in a lot of um, cancer support communities. But I think, more importantly, I think, in a lot of hospitals. And uh, we did a lot of ground rounds presentations for doctors and nurses. And uh, that was really exciting because it's sort of hard to get into hospitals in in Canada, especially, I don't know, in the States. But it was was, uh, amazing that they let us in there to show this film and to speak to the doctors at the cancer centers. And, And, man, I tell you, when you... You know, make a room full of doctors and nurses cry. You know that you're 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 making some connection or some change in their yeah. in their perspective on things. So, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, we can and do we the same in the states. You know. uh, <laughs> and we are getting ready for a tour in the states here uh, in the spring of 2012. So that's if you're interested and you're listening in in having the uh, tour come through your city, please contact us. Uh, go to the the website wrongwaytohope.com. Kenny, and uh, room? let us know because yeah. we want to make sure we visit your your city. Yeah, and by all means, you know we are um, we're taking the OMG Summit to Vegas next March. Mm. So uh, oh, heck yeah, you have every reason oh, we'll in the there. world to set up some sort of <laughs> event while you're out there. So we'll see you at the blackjack tables, we'll okay? At, no, no roulette, <laughs> yeah. roulette, and uh, roulette and poker. I'm in. <laughs> all right. I am in too. Just, just tell us one more time. So the river is, and I can't pronounce the name of. What is the river again, and where is it exactly? Where you went for the film? It's the um, Owasso River. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, it's sorry. It's the Owasso River down in southeast Oregon, and it's really in the middle of nowhere, about 50 miles from the nearest ranch most of the time. You, you Mike, I hate to break it to you, Mike, but everything in Oregon is in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, they actually cro- they crossed the border. Sure. <laughs> they yes. crossed the border and came into came into our turf, so to speak. To yeah. Aliens. Illegal there. aliens. Seriously. We, we came down because there's no mosquitoes down there. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's what Oregon's good for. No mosquitoes. <laughs> We're New Yorkers. We say Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> it's, also, it's actually Oregon. Oregon. Is oh. Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, I just gave Jeff huge props on Facebook for allowing the Young Adult Cancer Canada group, which I've been involved with for many, many years now as an American citizen, of course, uh, for help for basically for being a catalyst that brought your community together that, that sort of gave birth to the massive effort that is this film. I would love nothing more than to see a huge Canadian contingency descend upon Las Vegas 
and challenge my country to a drinking match. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh Bring yeah, the noise. definitely. Bring the noise. That's what Canadians are renowned for. <laughs> yeah, speaking, exactly. of, speaking of uh, drinking, does anybody still do the uh, call up the old coo 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 The two guys from SCTV uh. who did the um who Robin did the Doug? Yeah, Mackenzie. Dave, Tom- yeah, right. Bob and Doug McKenzie. Dave Thomas and uh, who was it? was it? Rick Moranis. Who was the other Rick one? Rick Moranis. Yeah. 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 Does, that, does that still float around? Still? Kenny wasn't born I'm yet. I'm too young for this. Definitely. Well, by man, I was first introduced to that movie by by an American actually. So. Right. I know. We loved it down here. <laughs> <laughs> so wait. So wrongwaytohope.org or dot com. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. Wrongwaytohope.com. You have the DVD available for sale, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. DVD for sale. You can check out the trailer on their website. Right. They'll soon be taking our country by storm. And they have a funky logo. I really love the logo of the film. It's well done. Yeah, it's terrific. It is well done. Like a takeoff of the ubiquitous So when you guys want to put something insanely amazing together in New York, you let me know. Excellent. All right. We will. We're here for you. Thank you. Thanks. Good luck with the film. Please keep in touch. Follow us on Facebook. Get We need your whole country to start drinking contests with us in Vegas. Otherwise, there's going to be no international peace in the West Hemisphere. StupidCancer.ca. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. Good luck, Great. everybody. Right. Thanks for being on the show. Thank Take you. care of yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Mikey Lang, Aaron Bryant, Jen Luce, and... I'm at a loss. Lori Hinsberger. Oh, awesome. Really yeah, good nice show. Folks. We got a lot done on this show. We did. We and certainly did. And we've made decent time at 9.12. I know. I, all right, so we, we didn't get to the official news, but there's one article I wanted to read tonight just for a talking point because we were a little rushed. It's kind of, it, it's really kind of cool, actually. Um, many of you out there may know that I wrote a piece for the Huffington Post a couple of months ago called The Moral Imperative for Pediatric Cancer. And the gist of the article was that we spend, there are hundreds of millions of dollars a year raised for pediatric cancer, not research. I'm not debunking the research. We need the research. But pediatric cancer, quality of life management, social workers helping the parents, making sure that there's a cocooned continuum of care to ensure that these children have as low stress an experience as possible, whether they're six. 12 or 14. Um, but now that all this progress in research and cure have yielded so many of them surviving into their adolescence and young adulthood, many of those survivors face numerous sort of consequences of cure, such as chronic diseases, strokes, stro- well, yeah, stroke, um, hepatitis, diabetes, uh, recurrence of cancer. I mean, as a testament to progress, there's now a whole new breed of survivor out there, 300,000 strong in this country, that deserve better from the pediatric world from whence they sort of benefited from not dying. Is it the obligation of the pediatric cancer world to continue their support of these adults once they drop off the cliff at 18 years old? That's the gist of the story. Does the pediatric cancer world owe it? To, to long-term childhood survivors. Anyway, so there's finally a bipartisan bill introduced to the to Congress, which is actually giving attention to the fact that there has not been enough attention focused on the long-term effects of cancer in children. 
So this bill is set to basically open that conversation and discuss funding issues of late effects as it pertains to long-term childhood cancer survivors. Hutchinson-Reed bill. Kay Bailey Hutchinson, Republican from Texas. Jack Reed. And Harry Reed. Not, no, not, not Harry. No, Reed. Jack Reed. Sorry, Jack Reed, Democrat uh, right. from Rhode Island. So they just whether this passes or not, I mean, we hope it does, of course, or in some version. I just want to point out that this is real progress. Yeah. This is tremendous. We talk about social change and tangible progress. This is tangible progress. That there is actually a bill being introduced now that is raising awareness for young adult cancer, specifically those affected by it when they were younger and are now in their twenties or thirties. So, kudos to Congress for actually opening up the dialogue. Very nice. Anyway, so anyway, that's our show. Time for our closing sequence. We good to go? Prepare to activate. Prepare to activate. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, (laughs) you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, our 198th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We would like to thank our in-studio guest. Us. Never really a guest. That would be us. Our in-studio staple, Kenny Kane. You're and our welcome. live guests tonight, Megan Hildebrand, Aaron Bryan, Mikey Lang, Jen Luce, and Lori Hinsberger. And Jonathan Levine of 5050. John, John Levine, John Levine. All right, next week, we're getting into Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And joining us are good friends at the Young Survival Coalition. You know them, you love them. Jennifer Mershoff, she's the CEO of the Young Survival Coalition and the Breast Cancer Survivors will be with us. Our good friend Jenna Glazer, Director of Development, and our other good friend Stacey Lewis. She's the Vice President of Programming at the Young Survival Coalition. Kicking it off in the spotlight, Carrie Milliki, a, you guessed it, young adult breast cancer survivor. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free anytime on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives on Blog Talk Radio anytime at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week. Good night, everybody. Bye there.